Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. It has been a while since I have recorded an episode, but today I wanted to chat about endometrial cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Endometrial cancer is the most common gynecologic malignancy. So it's important to know, first of all, what is endometrial cancer, but then who is at risk? Can we screen for it like we do with other cancers, such as breast cancer? How is it diagnosed? And what is the basic treatment? I think having that information will empower you to be informed, to be a better patient, to know what questions to ask. And I think it will be helpful. So let's get right to it. So the first part is going to be, what is endometrial cancer? Endometrial cancer is a cancer of the uterine lining. And that's why you may sometimes hear uterine cancer or endometrial cancer. And those two terms are going to be used interchangeably. It develops in one to 2% of women in the United States. And it is the fourth most common cancer in women and the most common gynecologic malignancy. We most often see it before the ages of 60 and 70 years old. And mostly it is diagnosed as an early stage cancer. The five-year survival, if you're diagnosed at stage one, meaning it's just confined to the uterus, is greater than 90%, which is fantastic. Unfortunately, the survival rates are not as great for more advanced stages of uterine cancer, which is why we need research. We need new drugs in this field. So there have been some really great advances recently, but we need more. Uterine cancer is broken down into two categories, type 1, which is also known as endometrioid type, or type 2. The type 1 or endometrioid type, so you might see it in a pathology report as an endometrioid, endometrial cancer, those tend to have a better prognosis and they most often present with abnormal uterine bleeding. The type 2 cancers, these are your serous cancers, clear cell carcinomas. And again, if you're not sure what kind of cancer, you would find that information on the pathology report. These are about 10 to 20% of all endometrial cancers, so the majority are type 1. And these behave differently, and they unfortunately have a less favorable prognosis. Knowing that, well, what puts you at risk of developing endometrial cancer. A couple of things, increasing age, being on unopposed estrogen therapy, tamoxifen, which is taken for breast cancer or breast cancer risk reduction, not having children or going into menopause later in life. Again, because all of that is just more estrogen that your body is exposed to. Polycystic ovarian syndrome, obesity, diabetes, a family history of endometrial ovarian, breast, or colon cancer, and genetic syndromes. The two most common ones that increase your risk for uterine cancer are Lynch syndrome 
and Cowden syndrome. Lynch syndrome is, a, is very often undiagnosed. The primary risk of Lynch syndrome is colon cancer, but endometrial cancer is a, is a close second. So it's really important to be educated about what your family history of, of, of cancer is. And that's not something that some families talk about, especially if you are not close to a part of your family. And, you know, years ago, people didn't talk about these things. And so it's important to have that information because when you go to see your doctor and they're asking about your family history, you, you want to offer that information so that if it triggers that there may be a genetic syndrome in the family, you can be tested for it. As a side note, a lot of people, when they think of family history, think that it's going to be a first degree relative and you know maybe your mother, maybe your second degree relatives like your grandmother, but no one thinks so much about third degree relatives or aunts or uncles, cousins, and those are really important as well. So when thinking about family history, you want to include those extended relatives as well. So now that we know what the risk factors are, how do we screen for uterine cancer? And this is tricky because there's really no routine screening available. This isn't uh, cervical cancer where you're doing a pap smear. This isn't breast cancer where you can get a mammogram or colon cancer where you can get a colonoscopy. There's no good non-invasive test for endometrial cancer. So that's the problem. However, 75 to 90% of patients with endometrial cancer are symptomatic and present with abnormal uterine bleeding. So we can pick it up at that point. So here's the difference between ovarian cancer, which often presents with bloating, abdominal pain, feeling full, not being able to eat, swelling of the abdomen and so forth. That will present very late in the diagnosis. So very late stage cancer and can be much harder to treat with a less favorable prognosis. Uterine cancer will present early in its early stages. So abnormal uterine bleeding, we can see with the stage one cancer. So it allows us to treat the cancer, diagnose it and treat it and have a very favorable prognosis. Of course, if a test was available that allowed us to catch uterine cancer before it developed, that would be the best, but we don't have that at this time. And routine screening with ultrasound or endometrial biopsies is not recommended. And I always stress that a pap smear is important for cervical cancer, but it really doesn't pick up uterine cancer. Occasionally, you may see some abnormalities at a pap, but that's not what the pap is used for. And as a side note, this, this comes up a lot for my breast cancer patients who are on tamoxifen. Tamoxifen increases your risk of uterine cancer. So people will always say, well, should I get additional testing or additional screening? It is not recommended. There are gynecologists who feel more comfortable getting um, a, a pelvic ultrasound while you're on tamoxifen, and that's completely okay, but the guidelines technically don't recommend that. Certainly, we don't recommend routine biopsies. So the most important thing I can tell you is that it's really critical to be educated about your risk of uterine cancer. So do you have risk factors of a family history? Are you at higher risk in the general population? knowing what the symptoms are, and then encouraging you know, our patients as providers, we need to encourage our patients to be advocates for your own health. And that's something that I stress over and over again. You have to be an advocate for your health and report those symptoms. So don't wait six months, you know, oh, I have an appointment in six months, I'll talk about it then. You're bleeding, that's not normal. Call your doctor.
I do briefly want to touch on Lynch syndrome. So remember I said Lynch syndrome is a genetic um, syndrome that increases your risk for colon cancer, endometrial cancer, as well as other cancers, but those two are kind of the highest risk. And so the, the risk is that patients with Lynch syndrome have a lifetime risk of endometrial cancer of 12 to 54%. That's much higher than the general population. So, well, what do we do, right? If it's that much higher, we really want to catch it if we can. And so for those patients who do have Lynch syndrome, if they're symptomatic, we always would do an endometrial biopsy. If they're asymptomatic, the recommendation is an annual endometrial biopsy starting at age 30 to 35 or five to 10 years prior to the earliest age of the first diagnosis of Lynch syndrome in the family, of a Lynch-associated cancer in the family. So for example, if you know you have Lynch syndrome, let's say you, if your father was diagnosed with colon cancer that's been attributed to Lynch at 37, for example, then you would want to start getting an endometrial biopsy five to 10 years before that. Ultimately, for Lynch syndrome carriers, the recommendation is to perform a risk-reducing hysterectomy, meaning taking the uterus out, and that's recommended to be done once childbearing is complete. So now let's turn to diagnosis. And in order to know about diagnosis, you need to think about symptoms. So I mentioned abnormal uterine bleeding, and remember that abnormal uterine bleeding when you're postmenopausal is never normal. So that's not something you can say, well, let's watch it, let's see what happens. It's not normal. Some people do have a lot of vaginal dryness, and so the dryness of the tissues can cause bleeding, but we never want to attribute it to that. You still need to do the workup. In addition to abnormal uterine bleeding, you may experience abnormal findings on a pap smear. Um, sometimes it's picked up, um, like get people getting imaging for something else. Let's say they had abdominal pain and maybe they thought there was their appendix and then the cancer is picked up that way. The key point is that in early uterine cancer, the pelvic exam is usually normal. But in advanced cancer, it may be abnormal. The uterus may be enlarged. You may not be able to manipulate it easily on exam. Unless people are having bleeding, causing anemia, the lab work will usually be normal. And in postmenopausal women, if they're getting a pelvic ultrasound and the uterus looks thick, that could be a sign of cancer. So that's also something that we don't want to ignore. It could be normal, but we just don't want to ignore that. The key is to not ignore symptoms and the key is to advocate for yourself. In terms of making the diagnosis, the first step is always going to be a uterine biopsy. Sometimes the uterine biopsy will make the diagnosis for you and sometimes it will not. Now, sometimes the results will be negative, meaning that you do not have cancer, but you may get what's called a false negative, meaning the test is negative, but you it's not actually negative, meaning that there's a cancer we just haven't picked up yet. And that's where it's really important to, you know, know what your level of suspicion is prior to having a workup done. So, you know, if, let, let's say you had a little bit of bleeding, we thought it was vaginal dryness, your uterine biopsy is normal, your pelvic exam, your pelvic ultrasound is normal. I think that's a 
that's very different than someone who is having a ton of bleeding, who may have an abnormal exam or abnormal imaging with increased uterine thickness and has a negative biopsy. In that person, that's something that you want to explore further. So how do you do that? The next step is typically um, done using a procedure called the hysteroscopy, which is a small tube inserted into the vagina to examine the cervix and the inside of the uterus. And at that time, a DNC can be performed, which is a, a essentially scraping of the uterus. And again, you know, if you have a negative result, but you have persistent symptoms, keep looking. If uterine cancer is diagnosed, so the majority of them are early stage and the majority of them are going to be cured with surgery. And typically that is taking the uterus out and often they will take the fallopian tubes and ovaries and cervix out as well. Most often it's done with a minimally invasive approach, such as a laparoscopic surgery or a robotic surgery, but more advanced disease will require a bigger surgery and sometimes an open surgery where they have to. It's not minimally invasive with very few tiny incisions. Now, some patients, even in early stage cancer, will require chemotherapy and or radiation to decrease the risk of recurrence. And a lot of that will depend on, so the size of the cancer, has it invaded other tissues, which I'll show you in a second. Um, how, you know, one of the things we measure is the depth of invasion. So how deep does that cancer go into the actual uterine lining itself? There are some other risk factors that we look at, and also whether it's a type 1 cancer or a type 2 cancer does make a difference as well. So what usually will happen is that you will have your surgery with a GYN or gynecologic oncologist, and then based on the pathology, your surgeon will then refer you, if necessary, to a medical oncologist to discuss chemotherapy and to a radiation oncologist to discuss radiation. And in terms of staging, so I had mentioned earlier that the stage one cancers are really confined to the uterus. Stage two is going to start to go into the cervix, which is lower down. Stage three cancers will either go into the vagina, um, to the lymph nodes, or to the ovaries. And then stage four cancers will impact, let's say, the liver, the bowel, the bladder, pretty much anything outside of your immediate pelvic structures. So here we are. So what are my take-home points? My take-home points are this. Number one, you need to know what the symptoms are so you know, you know how to advocate for yourself and you know what to look for. And the most common symptom is going to be abnormal uterine bleeding. But if something doesn't feel right, talk to your doctor. Just because it's not a common symptom doesn't mean we should ignore it. Number two, Know the risk factors for uterine cancer. Know your family history. Know that things like obesity and diabetes put you at higher risk. Number three, know how it is diagnosed so that you are prepared if you do have any abnormal findings and would need a workup such as an endometrial biopsy. But I'll end with this. You cannot prevent endometrial cancer. And I have said this before, you really can't prevent most cancers. Um, you know, things like colonoscopy allow you to catch a polyp before it develops into cancer, but for endometrial, for ovarian, for breast, we cannot prevent it. But we can take action to lower our risk. 
And the big thing is always health and wellness. In terms of what the American Cancer Society recommends for risk reduction for uterine cancer in particular, these are a couple of factors. Being at a healthy weight, and so that would mean weight loss if you are not or have excess body fat. Reducing the time that you are sedentary, so getting up, not sitting, not moving throughout your day. Regular, moderate to vigorous physical activity, which is going to be at least 30 minutes, five days a week, and that's on top of being active. So you want to move throughout your day, but you also want to have a dedicated period of time, if you can, for physical activity. Eating a diet with a low glycemic load, which means avoiding sweets, high sugar, low fiber foods, and avoiding sweetened beverages. Remember that it is never too early to start making the changes that you need in your lifestyle. And the health benefits of those lifestyle changes are so far reaching. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that you found it helpful and are able to have a few points that have enhanced your knowledge about uterine cancer. This is really meant for anyone to just get a basic understanding of endometrial cancer. I think that it is important so that we can be educated patients and know the questions to ask, know what may happen and be prepared. This is so important always, but especially right now during the pandemic, because if you don't know what symptoms to ask or to look for, it's easy to say, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'll sit on this. I'll wait for this. But really, you don't want to do that. Cancer is not quarantined. It's not waiting. We are going to see repercussions of this down the road. So I urge you to make sure if you have any concerning symptoms, to definitely get them checked out. If you found this podcast helpful or other episodes of the Interlude podcast, I would be so honored if you can leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to help me grow the show and bring it to new listeners. I love reading all of your reviews and the messages that you sent me in support of this show, and I am looking forward to getting back to some regular recordings soon. Have a great day. Have a wonderful weekend. If you are in the Northeast, enjoy this warmer weather we are having, and I will see all of you soon. 